Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Wednesday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. So glad that you're joining us today. Well, today I want to talk to you about a very important subject, and uh, it's a subject of how can we be involved as Christians in good moral and ethical behaviors, even in the workplace. Now, before I dive too much into the message today, I want to let you know that if you enjoyed this broadcast, you can also pick up the podcast on buzzsprout.com. Uh, let me spell that out for you. B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T.com and then backslash 1890557. And that way you can pick up this broadcast anytime that you want to listen to it. Even if it's in the middle of the night, you can listen to it. And uh, whenever it's a good time for you to listen, we'd love to have you tune in. Well, you know, many years ago, I was making it a habit to take a trip to Chicago and have some family members that are involved in a wonderful ministry in Chicago. And uh, we love going there. And uh, and this particular ministry uh, ministers to at-risk youth in the Humble Park section of Chicago, kind of a rough neighborhood. As a matter of fact, one time we were there for the summer for a week, and uh, we woke up the next morning. Uh, not only did we hear gunshots the night before, but we woke up the next morning, we discovered that a van uh, right one block over from where the church was uh, located was torched. And over the night, uh, I don't know what happened, but somebody torched that van, and it was quite the sight to behold, I can tell you that. But you know, the whole time we were there, we felt completely safe uh, because I've discovered something about being in the center of God's will. And this is something that my mom and dad kind of drilled into me, even as a kid. Uh, they would tell us as we were growing up, and I was I was blessed to be part of a big family, you know, seven of us kids. I've got two brothers and four sisters, and uh, we have a a pretty good sized family. And uh, my mom has over 30 grandchildren. And I think she's up to about 14 or 15 great grandchildren. And uh, just amazing when you think about it, uh, how God has really blessed our family. But one of the things that my mom and dad used to always say to us, you know, as we were growing up, they said, you know, I would rather have you halfway across the globe in the center of God's will than across the street living out of the center of God's will. Uh, so all of these years, I've been uh, about 700 miles uh, separated from my family. And uh, you know, it's not been that great of a sacrifice. Thankfully today, you know, we have these wonderful things called planes and we have these good cars uh, that can uh, drive up and down the East Coast so I can uh, get to see my family. I just got to get in the car for about 12 hours. Not, not that bad. And uh, But you know, when you think about that, being right smack dab in the center of God's will. That's where you find joy. Uh, that's where you find just the, the peace that passes all understanding. Well, as I look at our ministry to Chicago, and I've got a family member that is in charge of that ministry, uh, this ministry is housed in a very old church. And this church has a bell tower. And, you know, I'm a, an extremely curious person, especially when it comes uh, to old churches, and, and I love church bells. And so I climbed up into the bell tower, and uh, I ventured up into that tower, and I wanted to check out this thing, and, uh, and I wanted to see if this bell still works, and sure enough, it did. I got up there, and I rang it. And as I got up into the bell tower, I, I discovered that there is a lot of other people that had been up there and a lot of other birds that had been up there, and uh, you could tell there was a lot of, um, shall we say, debris, uh, indicating that there had been lots of birds up there, and uh, I rang that bell. And I noticed that the, there was a rope on the bell that went down through a hole in the floor, and you could ring that bell. And when I think about being able to release somebody, 
Uh, Don't just keep pondering on your offenses. And because we keep pondering on offenses, we never get really victory. It's kind of like, I don't want to hear the bell ring, but I'm going to keep pulling the rope, right? And so I keep pulling the rope and I keep hearing the bell. Why don't you let go of the rope? And when you let go of the rope, you let go of that offense. Now, that bell, I noticed, even after I released the rope, the bell would ring. But the ring would get softer and softer and softer. And finally, it would stop. It didn't stop immediately. Didn't stop uh, at the moment I stopped pulling that rope. It was a gradual process. I, I think that happens to us when we forgive somebody, when we release somebody of an offense. It's going to take some time for you to let go. It's going to take some time for you to not have that uh, on the forefront of your mind. But if you let go of that rope, with time, God will give you victory. So I want to look at today this whole subject of how we can be a blessing to those that we work with. You know, as followers of Christ, we have this unbelievable insight into what is happening in the world today. Now, this doesn't mean that that we have a perfect understanding, but we do have a general idea as to what God is doing. We kind of have a general idea about what the future holds. We know from our study of Scripture that the righteousness that we have, righteousness exalts the nation, for example. But sin is a reproach to all people. We know that good things happen to bad people, but bad things happen to good people. And we also know that life is not fair, but God is just. We know that men love darkness rather than light. And the reason that is, is because their deeds are evil. We know that God is not a respecter of persons and that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know as the coming of the day of the Lord's return inches closer, the Christians actually will grow stronger. And the world will give more radically into sin, and they will will more radically oppose the message because their love for themselves will increase. Well, their hatred for Christians will also increase. We know this is a spiritual battle, one that is going to be won on our knees. We know that we are to pray for those who spitefully use us, We are to bless those who curse us. We also know that we are God's righteous standard and and that his standard doesn't change regardless of how popular or or how unpopular a particular sin may become. Uh, We know that we have a Savior who has forgiven us and has filled us with his Holy Spirit so that we are not given the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. Even though the world thinks that we have lost our minds, we have a sound mind. Our sound mind to this world may seem bizarre, but to those who know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we know that we might have to suffer as Jesus suffered. But we also know that as we are persecuted, it pales in comparison to what Christ went through for our redemption. We know that in this world, we're going to have trouble. But we also know that our God can deliver us, either now or in eternity. We know that our lives were created for God's good pleasure, to be used for His good purpose and for His glory. We are humbled to know Him and honored to serve Him. Our immediate future may be difficult, but our long-term future will be in heaven. Now, when I think about one of the biggest barriers to effective ministry, I think is that we take ourselves a little bit too seriously, but we don't take God seriously enough. 
The most important confession in the New Testament is Peter's confession. When Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the second most important confession, I think, is Paul's confession when he says in Acts chapter 17, we are but men. We must decide in life whether we want to influence people or if we want to impress them. You see, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only influence them up close. We desperately need authentic leaders today who are real, who are vulnerable. You see, our greatest life message actually comes out of our weaknesses, not in our strengths. In Genesis chapter 15, there's a promise of land that is given to Abraham. Now, he doubted it from the start. In fact, Abraham thought it was going to be given through his servant, Eleazar. Abraham had this very faithful servant from Damascus. But God clarified by saying, it's not going to happen through Eliezer. It's going to happen through your son, your one and only true son, Isaac. But there's going to be a delay. You know, God always delays. He gives us the promise. And then it takes time for that promise to be fulfilled. I think there's four reasons why God delays. You know, have you ever asked God for something? maybe a job or a pay raise or, or, or some kind of resolution to a problem, but the answer is yet to come. I mean, even if you ask with the right motives and you're still waiting for God to act. Uh, David expresses this sentiment in Psalm 69, verse 17, when he calls out to God and, and says, God, will you answer me quickly? I'm in trouble. You know, God always has a good reason for delaying. Here's just four that I came up with. Number one is God delays because his ways are not our ways. I want you to know that sometimes I get a little thought in my mind and I'm thinking, well, this is what God wants. And then I pray about it and I search the scriptures and I discover, "Uh oh, (laughs) that's what I wanted. That's not what God wanted. In Isaiah 55 verses eight through nine, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, your ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, God's ways are higher. Trust that he has a divine purpose for his delay. He's slowing things down so that we can have a change of mind to have our thoughts to be in congruence with his thoughts. You see, our viewpoint is very limited, but God sees all things. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Why? Because my own understanding is very limited. I lean on the Lord with all of my heart because he sees everything. God may be putting everything together in place, and he's just waiting for that answer to take place because our mind is not in the right place. So sometimes God delays because his ways are not our ways. There's another reason why I think he delays. And the second reason is because our ways are not only not his ways, but God delays so that we can demonstrate our faith. Now, Galatians chapter 6 talks about waiting on God. Now, Paul says, don't become weary in your well-doing, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if, if you don't give up. You see, when we respond to God's delay with faith and not doubt, God guarantees a harvest, and it will arrive at the proper time. 
Hebrews 10.36 says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised to you. You know, to persevere is to endure with the expectation of victory. I'm not just being all grumpy and, 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 and downcast because I'm waiting. No, I'm waiting with anticipation. It's going to happen. I, I know it's going to happen. You know, for many years, uh, our church met in rented facilities. We rented the Hickory Rorden Club. For seven years, we would tear down and set up every Sunday, tear down and set up every Wednesday, twice a week. Uh, we'd bring our stuff in. We'd set it up. Uh, well, first of all, we had to clean the building. And then we set up our stuff. And then we took our stuff down and we had to clean the building again, twice a week. Uh, we did this for seven long years. You know what helped us? We realized that God has got something better for us in the future. Uh, we knew that God was going to give us a, a nice place to worship, a nice place to meet, and lo and behold, He did. He gave us 35 acres of land, and for the last 16, 17 years, uh, we've been able to worship in a wonderful place, all provided by God. We don't have to go and, and set up and tear down every week. You see, we demonstrated our faith that God was going to come through. There's a third reason why God delays. And not only are our ways not His ways, not only to demonstrate our faith, but God delays so that He can bless your waiting. You see, the blessing is not just in what's past the time of waiting. The blessing is actually in the time of waiting. Don't miss that. Isaiah 30, 18 makes His promise. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is good. He's a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. You know, in my times of waiting, God blesses me. Those who wait for God will be blessed by God. God will take care of you. God will show you his compassion while you're waiting for him. He will be gracious, which conveys the word picture of God descending from above to personally show you his kindness in those times of waiting. You know, it amazes me. How many times God speaks to me in times of waiting? Now, maybe you're sitting in traffic right now. Now, think about those people who were stuck in that snowstorm that we had, and they were up there in Northern Virginia, and some of them were stuck 8, 10, 12, 14 hours there uh, on Interstate 95. You know, that must have been a very uncomfortable time. But I have learned in my times of sitting in traffic, and maybe you're sitting in traffic, and, and I have been stuck uh, going into the tunnel uh, at the, uh, the Hanther Roads Tunnel. I've been stuck going into the tunnel at the uh, Monitor Merrimack Tunnel, and uh, I've been stuck in all different areas. And if you've, if you've been in the Hanther Roads area and you travel uh, any length of time in 664, 64, 464, uh, you know what it's like to get stuck in traffic. I have learned during these times that I'm stuck in traffic, instead of whining and complaining, he said, okay, Lord, you got my attention now. Now, what is it that you're trying to teach me in this time of waiting? God has often spoken to me in a hospital room as I'm waiting to visit with a patient. God speaks to us in our times of waiting. Don't rush through those times of waiting. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Well, there's one other reason I think that God causes delay in our lives. God delays so that he can be glorified in the end. In John chapter 11, there's a sick man 
And this sick man has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, this sickness is not going to end in death. No, it's not going to end in death. Why? Because it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Well, Jesus says that in verse number four of chapter 11. Uh, This verse is part of a broader uh, message that is given, a broader passage, and and concerning the death of Lazarus. Well, wait a minute. Jesus says you're not going to die, and then Lazarus dies. So when Lazarus was sick, Jesus purposely delays going to him. But during the delay, Lazarus dies. Jesus ultimately resurrects Lazarus, which was a manifestation of Jesus' glory for all to see. You see, Christians are still talking about this miracle today. God's miracles validate his word. In John eleven forty, 40, he says, at the end of Lazarus' story, Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? God's denial, or God's delay, rather, is not his denial. I want you to know. God wants to be glorified in and through us. Sometimes that means slowing us down. I want you to know that we all battle. We battle with being glory hogs. We love for people to think well of us, to speak well of us. We love glory. But God says, I'm not going to share my glory with anyone. Sometimes God will delay things so that he will ultimately get the glory. Well, the remaining moments of the broadcast today, I want to talk to you about why do we struggle with ethical and moral decisions? And I want you to look at a passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to give you a few principles here that I think will help you. And number one is the reason that we struggle is because we think that our problems are unique, and oftentimes we think that our problems are bigger than God's promises. Now, as we look at Genesis chapter 16, verse number one, it says that Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so here we discover that they've got a problem here. God has made a big promise to Abraham and to Sarah. The big promise is that they're going to have a child. Sarah's looking at her life. Abraham's looking at the life. She says, man, we're old. You know, our childbearing age is long gone. Maybe, just maybe. Because we've got this big problem, God is going to allow this child to be born through Hagar. You know, I want you to know that we are commanded to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Listen, when God promises to do something, he'll do it. And as a matter of fact, he's going to do it his way and according to his time schedule. In 2 Timothy 4.13, it says, when you come... And this is Paul talking. He says, when you come, would you bring that cloak which I left for you in Troas and and bring the books, but especially the parchments? Now, why in the world would Paul, at the end of his life, I I get why he wants the cloak, it's cold out, but why do we care about the books, the parchments? Paul wanted to reassure himself of the promises of God. Now, those parchments are the promises given in the Old Testament. Paul says, in my dying days, I want the word of God, the promises of God to sustain me. Charles Spurgeon makes a comment on this verse. He says he is inspired, talking about Paul, and yet he wants the books. He has been preaching at least for 30 years, and yet he wants the books. He had seen the Lord, and yet he wants the books. He had a wider experience than most men, and yet he wants the books. He had been caught up into the third heaven. 
and he had heard things which is unlawful even for men to utter, yet he wants the books. He had written a major part of the New Testament, yet he wants the books. Why did he want the books? Because he realized the promises of God were much greater than his problems. You know, there's something else that we've got to look at. As we're struggling with moral and and ethical decisions, never forget that our problems are not bigger than the promises of God. Number two, believe our issues can be fixed, but don't believe they can be fixed by people. You see, so many times we admit that we have this problem and we're thinking, if just the right person would come along, it would fix this problem. Sarah was thinking, well, Hagar must be the solution. I'm too old, and and maybe God wants his promise fulfilled through her. Now, some of you have bought into this way of thinking, right? You're thinking, well, if I just find the right person to marry, or if I just find the right connection that could get me in the job that I've been dreaming of, if I was just put in favor with the right person, everything would come together. I want you to know that we must believe that our issues can be fixed but not by people. Our issues are fixed by Christ himself. Let's look at what happened to the story of Abraham and Sarah. And so she said to Abram, Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with your slave, that's Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah's wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Oh, my. How many times do we do the same thing? We manipulate a situation. As a result, we miss the opportunity to see God do great things. Listen, I want you to know that I love people. I thank the Lord for people. But people can never be my God. People can never be my idol. As a matter of fact, Frederick the Great said this, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. Isn't there some truth to that? People are to be loved, not to be used. Things are to be used, not loved. Oftentimes we get that turned around. You see, we will never have a clear path to overcome the moral dilemmas and the ethical dilemmas that we come across if we think that our problems are bigger than God's promises. If we think that our solutions can be fixed by people. And number three, if we believe that our feelings and blaming others will pardon us. Oh, how many times do we do this? It was John Wooden who said, you are not a failure until you start to blame others for your mistakes. As we go back to the story, we discover that Hagar became pregnant and then Sarah began to despise her. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me, and I despise her, and, and may the Lord judge between you and me. Where are you focusing your attention? Is it focused on blaming others? You see, focus on fixing the problem. Never focus on fixing the blame. Acknowledge you're part of the mess up. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 13, 
David finally confessed his sin to Nathan. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for your sin. So stop the blame game. Stop. Stop looking out the window. Instead, look in the mirror. Well, there's something else that we battle with and being able to overcome ethical problems. Here's the fourth one. We think that running from our problems will make them better. We discover that Hagar ran away, got away from Abraham, got away from Sarah, thinking that that would solve her problems. Listen, God wants us to resolve our problems, never to run from them. In Ephesians 4.31, it says that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You see, failure to put things away from us will cause us to run from our problems. It's only when we acknowledge those problems and confess those sins that we are set free. Well, I hope you join me tomorrow as I give you the last part of this message. I want you to know that ethical and moral problems can be easily solved where we are living a life of transparency, where we are trusting God's promises to deliver us from the problems that we face. Never using people. Always use things. Love people and and use things. And and don't turn that around backwards. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to listen to this sermon on buzzsprout.com, you can. B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T.com backslash 189-0557. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. We meet at 9 o'clock or 1030. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.